Okay, tonight I'm going to tell you the story of how God brought Heidi and I together. We're going to be discussing romantic relationships. This, God made you guys to be relational creatures. He made you with strong drives and desires. This is such a core part of who you are in your romantic life, in your sex life, this comes so close to the essence of who God made you to be. Because He made romantic love and sexual relations to be a holy, sacred picture of the kind of intimacy He shared in the relationship of the Trinity and the kind of relationship He wants to have with us. God, if you think that's vulgar, talking about the relationship with God and us as the romantic relationship, but do you realize this is the image that God turns to in the Old Testament and the New Testament repeatedly? So God himself is the one who says that this romantic sexual love is to be a picture. God does not just create things at random. He creates things to reveal something about himself. And he created romantic sexual love to show us the kind of intimacy and relationship he wants with us. Which is why Satan loves to twist and pervert sexual love. And also why God hates sexual immorality so much. But tonight I'm mainly going to just focus on what Heidi and I learned during our single years. The path God took us to this. I think our, st our story isn't quite as romantic as Romeo and Juliet's. Mainly because our story doesn't end with us on drugs stabbing ourselves. <laughs> At least not yet. <laughs> so, growing up, I didn't want to get married. And then I turned four. <laughs> the reason I didn't want to get married was because I thought I would have to marry a stranger. And my mom revolutionized my concept of marriage by saying, maybe you'll marry someone you know. And she named someone who was also four. <laughs> so from the time I was four till about 17, I knew who I was going to marry. She was a good friend. But when I got, when I, around when I turned 17, it was getting to be a miserable experience to go to church because it was all either feeling really good if I got a smile or if we talked, or it was feeling miserable if she smiled or talked with another guy. We came from a pretty conservative church where there wasn't a lot of active mingling between the groups. We, we talked to each other, but it, so it's just, there wasn't a whole lot to, of evidence, so you'd read into it. But anyways, this was becoming way too much of a distraction. I realized I was not ready to get married at the age of 17. So I, I felt God saying, Put, give this girl to me. You cannot live your single years this obsessed with someone else. Where especially on Sundays when you need to be worshipping me and your focus needs to be on me. And God did heart surgery and I felt like I was able to enter a time of real freedom. Really able to focus on God and enjoy Him. Focus on my education, my studies, memorizing His word. But then when I was 19, I had an experience A visiting family came to our church and they had a girl that I just thought was beautiful and I heard in my head, I just met the girl 
that I'm going to marry. I had grown up hearing mom and dad's story that mom had said, first time she laid eyes on my dad, I just met the man I'm going to marry. So I thought, this is what's going to happen with me. Now there was a big difference between my mom and dad's story, because in that story, my dad had yet to emerge from his tall, gangly, geeky stage. So when mom heard, I just met the man I'm going to marry, it was a supernatural miracle. <laughs> in my case, this girl was quite attractive, so it was somewhat less of a miracle. <laughs> But I fell, at least what I thought, I fell madly in love with this girl. This was one of the first lessons that I learned about infatuation. Have you ever seen these, imagine a grid and there's flaps over and there's a picture behind each, behind this grid and you get to pull flaps back and every time you pull a flap back, you, a little more of the picture is revealed. Can you picture that? So, when you first meet someone, you get to pull back a few of the flaps. But the vast majority of who this person is, their character, their struggles, their dreams, desires, those are all a big unknown to you. They're all behind the flap. But, we don't like to live with unknowns, so we fill in the blanks. We assume we know what's behind those blanks. Now, if this person is outwardly attractive, we fill in those blanks with all kinds of good things. This woman is so beautiful. She must have an amazing prayer life. Her knowledge of the word must just be amazing. You see someone who's a little more plain and you start looking for, I'm sure she's got some skeletons in the closet somewhere. <laughs> but the more you get to know someone, the more flaps you pull back. Most humans are not worthy of infatuation. So when you grow up with someone, you have most of these flaps pulled back and they're not superhuman. You know everything about this person. So there's no room for your imagination. There's no flaps left to pull back for your imagination to fill in the blanks. But you come to camp or you, you travel somewhere and you meet or you see someone online who's really attractive, there's all kinds of room for your infatuation, imagination station to kick in. And you can imagine this person is way more wonderful than you really know. This is why infatuation often happens long distance. I'm not saying that this girl wasn't a great girl. I just, I'm finding out, I didn't really know her, but because she was beautiful, I just thought she must be godly and completely worthy of my love and devotion. I also prayed what I thought was a very spiritual prayer. I said, God, if this woman is for me, help this desire to really grow. And if she's not for me, just take this desire away. I see now in hindsight that that wasn't a very godly prayer. It was actually a kind of a cowardly prayer or a lazy prayer because I was wanting God to do all the work. If she was for me, my desire would grow. If she wasn't, I wouldn't have to actually wrestle with this. But Proverbs says to guard your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issue of life. What I should have been doing was just guarding my heart and not asking God to just make this desire grow. I should have been guarding it until God had made it so clear that she was the one. I got the order mixed up. But anyway, my desire kept growing. Why wouldn't it? Because she was completely in the realm of my imagination. So I could continually fall in love. Have you ever heard of Dante? He wrote 
What did he write, Brian? <laughs> he wrote a guide to heaven and hell, something about... Inferno, yeah. Anyway, Dante was married to this woman, but for his whole life he was infatuated with a woman named Beatrice. He was kind of his, his dream woman. We guys need to be careful because it's very easy to have in the back of our mind this idyllic dream woman we have. And it does, it's just the, this person we revere as the embodiment of everything perfect in the female. And it's easy to attach when you have an infatuation someone onto that. <clears throat> anyway, she was my Beatrice, so I didn't know much about her. But when I was 21, I talked to my parents about this. And I said, okay, we're going to sound very Amish for the rest of this story, so just... <laughs> but I, I just went to my mom and dad and said, you know, I, I'm really interested in starting something with her. Maybe we could call it a betrothal. And I would, we, we could go travel to this family's house and see if they were interested in starting a betrothal, which in my mind was kind of a committing to a, re a relationship, but it would just be through correspondence at first. My conviction at this point was that I did not want to start a romantic relationship unless I knew it could end in marriage. I was, I was pretty idyllic about this and I've seen sense that there's some danger in this, but here was my desire at first was to start a relationship with full commitment, so practically an arranged marriage, practically married before I even started winning a young woman's heart. My desires for this were noble because I didn't want to start a romantic relationship, start winning her heart, and then suddenly get cold feet and back out of this. I just, I wanted to protect her heart, and when I started winning her heart, I wanted to know that I was offering a safe place. The essence of that I still very much believe in. But we went to this family's house. They had 11 kids, we had 11 kids, so romantic. Most of them started with J names, most of us started with J names. It just couldn't have been a more perfect fit. But that night, I was, I mean, you could see I was really evaluating the deep important things in this relationship. <laughs> but I was woken up at 3 in the morning by a little sibling who was sharing the air mattress with me. And honestly, it was this sibling who had wet the bed, not me. But anyways, <laughs> this air mattress was soaked. And it's a lot of work to, to clean up a velvet air mattress when it's wet. But there was no going back to sleep that night because I realized that what I was planning to do was actually terrifying. It was no longer this really super romantic betrothal idea that I had been dreaming of. It was kind of terrifying because I, I don't really know this girl and here I am asking if I can commit to her. This is dangerous. So I, I still summoned enough courage and I, I went down the hall shaking, went to this father's office and he was on the phone so he made me wait in the hall and other kids are peeking around the corner wondering what I'm doing standing in the hall. But I get in, he sits in his office chair, puts his feet up and says, so what do you want to talk about? And I did, to my best of my ability, tried to convince him that I was God's will for his daughter. I asked about starting a betrothal and he said, well, God, when I have to hire people, I often go by just asking God to give me a real sense of peace. So I'll pray about this with my wife and then I'll get back to you. As soon as I left that office, I was flooded with so much joy and peace. Like, God was confirming to me that I was doing the right thing here. I felt like George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, 
Abraham all rolled in one. I just felt like the ultimate man of faith. Stepping out, God was going to bless us. He was starting one of the greatest love stories of all time. Well, I went home and waited for two weeks and I still hadn't heard from this father yet. But I had this confidence that this was going to be it. But anyway, when this man called, he wanted to talk to my dad first, which wasn't a good sign. He broke the news to my dad that I wasn't at all what they were looking for. So I was devastated. He called back, wanted to talk to me. I blubbered something about, is this a no forever? And I really, I'm glad it's a conversation that it's not recorded somewhere because I, I don't think I'd want to listen to it a bunch of times. Because normally I'm quite a he-man, but on this conversation I wasn't so much of one. And I went down to my brother's bed and covered it with tears. I mean, I'm not dramatic or anything or over-emotional, but I was just a sobbing mess. Here, this had been growing in my mind for a year and a half. This was my vision of my Beatrice. This was how it was supposed to be. And here I thought, I had been so spiritual about it. I had gone under my parents' blessing. I had taken the proper steps. And here I am, devastated. And the whole purpose of following God and obeying my parents was so that I wouldn't have to endure this crap of heartbreak. So as I'm laying there sobbing, I, I look up and I see the title, Grief Observed by C.S. Lewis. So, okay, that sounds like the type of reading I need right now. Maybe he can understand what I'm going through. <laughs> so I, I take off this grief observant, and that's the story of C.S. Lewis and how he lost a wife to cancer. And I get into real raw human misery, and it's a bit of a wake-up call that, okay, this isn't, what I'm experiencing now is not, it's not really as bad as I thought it was. But my heart was still a little tender, but it was a real awakening for me that these infatuations that I had let myself, imaginations, they were just fairy tale. they weren't real life. But something else has convinced me was that maybe I am not a seer, maybe I don't have supernatural abilities in hearing from God about who I'm supposed to marry. It's too blinded by things like looks. So I went to my parents, <laughs> Again, this sounds Amish. But I went to my parents and said, Mom and Dad, I want you to pick who I'm going to marry. And they went, <laughs> And that was just my mom. <laughs> not really, of course not. Parents loved us. And I knew my parents loved us. I had been open with my mom about my infatuations. Laughing like that is really hard on the <laughs> So they prayed about it. And they told me, there's two young women we think would be a good fit for you. I was getting excited. Two? It's awesome. And they said, no, not both of them. You have to pick. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the <laughs> Yeah, Frodo and Sam didn't get married. <laughs> um so one of the girls was this girl that I had been interested in from the ages of four to seventeen. And this was the one they had, they picked for me. They said, well, why don't you pursue this angle? Now, when I said I had died to her, I had completely died to her. I was no longer attracted to her at all. I was excited about the possibility, 
But I went downstairs after mom and dad told me that, breathed a big sigh, and started going through a photo al our photo albums, trying to find a picture of her where she looked semi-attractive. <laughs> I looked till one in the morning. <laughs> I couldn't find one. I picked the best of the bunch. <laughs> And I really prayed over this. Same. <laughs> God, you can make the blind to see, make the seeing blind. <laughs> no, I didn't pray that. <laughs> I prayed that God would really help me fall in love with this, this woman. And I felt very noble in doing this. I had nausea, but I had felt very noble <laughs> about what I was doing. So I called the second father. It was a little easier to start the second conversation. Dads aren't real fun to approach. But I, I thought he would be thrilled to hear, because this guy knew me, <laughs> um, that this, is, this was a great opportunity for his daughter. And he sounded very excited on the phone. He said, well, where do you want to go from here? And I said, I don't know, you, you decide. But he said, as um, Providence would have it, our neighbors, this part's not funny, their house, their house burned down. So there, it just changed everything. It, it was it kind of obsessed our little community. And so he, he just said, there's a lot going right now. If it's a yes now, it'll be a yes in, it'll be a yes in the future. So just leave it. But I was pretty confident, based on his initial reaction, that this was going to be a, a yes. So for the next six flippin' weeks, I, <laughs> I worked hard on falling in love with this girl. And it was actually starting to work. I found out in real life she looked a lot better than any of the pictures we had. <clears throat> but then six, I wondered, what is taking so long? I mean, when this opportunity for paradise knocks on the door, for your daughter, why, what takes six weeks about that? Anyway, he again wanted to talk to my dad alone. But before that, he had actually taken me and just completely grilled me. He said, I've got, I'm, it was not a fun conversation. He said, I've got, he had issues with me. He wanted to know, he saw character flaws. He wanted to know why I was so competitive. And it just, what I was going to, what my career was, how I was going to pay for everything, and it just, it was a really not fun conversation. But he told my dad, look, we really wanted, we really wanted to say yes, but God has just not given us peace about this, so I, I have to say no. <sighs> Two strikes, okay, so I couldn't hear from God, my parents can't hear from God, and I'm wondering if there's monasteries for Protestants. <laughs> I, there might be, but I didn't find any. But there was this next... Remember they said there was two girls? The second girl was actually one that... My parents had suggested for me before. But I had wanted to marry a short, dark-haired Canadian. <laughs> and this girl was a tall, blonde American. But the big thing was, I thought my cousin was interested in her. Now my cousin's about six foot one and built like a lumberjack. 
I can make 510 with a good hair dryer and I'm built for reading. <laughs> so I didn't want to get into a stag fight for her. I, I seemed to lose all the girls I was interested in to my attractive, good-looking cousin. So I didn't want to even go there this time. But it turns out that my cousin was interested in this young woman's younger sister. So that opened up possibilities that this girl was actually available. And I began to be quite intrigued by her as a friend. Honestly, after what I had been through these two times, my infatuation machine was pretty dent up and I was not interested in jumping back into a relationship because all this, that fun stuff about marriage that you imagine, I was more thinking of about the hard work, the reality, the leaving home, and I, it just wasn't something I wanted to jump into anymore. But I was intrigued by this young woman as a friend. I was intimidated by her. I thought she was very classy and intelligent and that if she got to know me, she would find out I was anything but. We went down to Helena, Montana in February of 2005. And we talked a lot with a bunch of other young people. But on the way back, my cousin, said, why don't we play this game where everybody has to say what they think about the person on their right. Yes, I finally figured out that I was on her right. I couldn't wait to see what she felt about me. She said, well, let's see, Jesse. The word that comes to mind when I think of you is incorrigible. I looked it up when I got home. <laughs> um, morally bad without any hope of reform. <laughs> it's okay, she looked it up when she got home too. <laughs> And she wrote me the sweetest apology letter saying, that really wasn't the word I meant to use. <laughs> she said, I was actually meant undaunted, like in a, in a good way, that you fight for what's good and you, you seem that you'd have boldness in attacking that. So that was a much nicer interpretation. <laughs> that night, she waved at, at me, and I couldn't believe that, but I looked behind me, who are you waving at? And there was nobody behind me. So I thought, maybe there's something here. She thinks I'm incorrigible, but she might like me. <laughs> this curiosity about her continued to grow, but it was honestly not a romantic attraction. <laughs> I actually didn't think she was very attractive, which... That's just part of the story. I, was, I just wasn't attracted to her. I thought she had potential that she could... <laughs> that she <laughs> I have always been a very deeply spiritual man. <laughs> so I, my curiosity about this woman grew. In June, we went on a hike behind our house, about 10 miles, there's, there's three mountains, they're hopefully extinct volcanoes. And we, <laughs> we were hiking to the top of it, and I was determined to spend more time in the presence of this young lady, just getting, getting to know her. 
And I was working on an article on joy, and so I thought this would be a great way. I asked her if she would like to edit it. I thought well, this would be a good chance to get to know this, get to get to know her a little bit. Now it turns out that my dad saw us together and he was actually praying that if we were meant for each other that God would bring an awakening to our hearts. That God would turn my heart towards this woman. And it is Heidi, just if you haven't figured that out by now. My sordid tale only goes on for so long. I spent a lot of time with Heidi that day. I did, she kept running away from me, which I thought was her way of letting me know she really wanted to hang out with me. It wasn't. <laughs> but I finally caught up with her and we walked the last side by side the last two miles and we talked about movies and books and life. And I really, it was a very comfortable conversation. One of the most comfortable conversations I'd ever had with a girl. The next day, when she stepped out of the vehicle, I couldn't believe how this angelic, gorgeous woman had stepped into my life. It was an unbelievable transformation, like God suddenly flipped a switch. Whereas a while ago, I would have just seen her as a rather plain person I wasn't attracted to, to suddenly being thinking she was a knockout beauty. It was amazing how that happened. But now the problem was she never waved at me again. <laughs> Now my problem was, I couldn't figure out at all if she liked me or not. I tried to ask my mom, are you seeing some signs here? Because I can't tell at all if she's at all interested in me. Remember, at this point, I've already been turned down by two fathers. I'm thinking at this time, before I approach father number three, I'd really like to have some hope that after the father says yes, the daughter will say yes. <laughs> I didn't want to make it past level one, finally, and get turned down at that all-important level two. So I continued to spend more time around her, really crank up my charm, and try to figure out if she liked me. And it was not working at all. I couldn't tell at all. My mom had been praying that God would have been working in the heart of the young woman if she was the one for me. And I said, well, maybe if she doesn't like me, she still could be the one. Because I really was hoping, really hoping she was the one. In August, I, I really felt God clearly speak to me that she's the one for you. And I was skeptical, God, is this really you? Because I thought I've heard from you before. But I, I will take this and I will just continue to trust you that if she's the one, you'll work this out. Well, around the middle of August... We got a call from Heidi's parents. They said they wanted to go for coffee. They live a hundred miles away and had never asked to go for coffee before, so something was a little suspicious. My mom, who's half psychic, she went on a walk with me the night before and said, what if they're interested about you and Heidi? And I said, well, you can tell them I'm not really interested in starting a relationship right now, but I'm quite convinced that Heidi is a, a woman I'd be willing to commit to. But I didn't know that's what, if that's what they were going to talk about. The next day I went to my job, I was doing electrical work, uh, building a new house and that house that had burned down. And I got a call around 11 o'clock from my mom. And she's telling me about how this conversation went. She said, Jesse, they started the conversation by saying, 
we're concerned about how much attention Jesse is paying Heidi. My heart has sank. Three strikes. Seriously? Oh, I can't do this love stuff anymore. I said, what are Jesse's intentions towards Heidi? And my mom said, well, Jesse thinks the world of Heidi. He's willing to commit to her. And apparently at this point in the conversation, Russ and Laura, Heidi's parents, just started breaking down in tears. I said, really? That's amazing, because Heidi thinks so highly of you. Mom's relaying this conversation. Mom, Heidi thinks so highly of you, Jesse. She's thought you were the one for several months. My head, my heart just exploded. Here I am, 21, and for the first time in my life, I know that a girl likes me. <laughs> I was just cloud nine for the rest of the day. I was so excited about this. I was so excited on air on the way home. I ran into a combine. <laughs> this is very different than a concubine. <laughs> I was going down a gravel road during harvest. I missed the first two. The third one, I <laughs> Third one came along and hit the windshield, scraped along the top of my brother's car, which he sold to me at a discount. <laughs> and this temporarily dampened my emotions. But I got home, I was so excited, I called Heidi's parents and I asked officially to begin a relationship with her. I asked if we could go on a date on Friday. We, uh, <laughs> that Friday, Woke up, I had to do a little work, thinking, okay, how am I very suavely, with all my infinite charm, going to start this conversation? Get out, and I see her sitting on the lawn there, and nice day, isn't it? <laughs> She's pretty psychic, too. She figured out I wasn't that comfortable at that moment. But we, <laughs> I, I gave her this heart, a silver heart with a ring through it, <laughs> Bashfully said, this, this signifies that my heart's yours forever. And um, again, I'm really glad there weren't cameras here because I don't think this is my Casanova moment sitting there. But I told her that I've got the green light from God. I've got the green light from my parents. I've got the green light from your parents. <clears throat> I'm committing to you. I'll give you the freedom to walk away, but you can trust me with your heart. My heart's yours. Forever. She accepted that and <laughs> she committed to me as too. And this isn't necessarily something I'm saying make a universal blueprint of, but this was how God led us. And we started our relationship with commitment. <laughs> Three weeks later, I had an engagement ring in a thick green book called Life Begins. And I carved it out and I put it in the middle in the, in the ring case. I went for surprise over romance, and during the middle of a softball tournament, I took Heidi for a walk. And I said, here, here's a book I'd like to loan you. She looks at this old book, and she starts flipping through the beginning where I haven't cut out anything. So I said, I think chapter 10 was a good one. I lied. It probably was a great one, so, but I had never read this book, and it was my grandpa's book, and I was really hoping he wouldn't ask for it back. But she finds the ring, I said, will you marry me? She said, yes. I put the ring on her finger, 
and 24 hours I finally worked up enough courage to hold her hand for the first time. <laughs> first time I'd ever held hands with a girl. I'm, can you say Amish? But this was, here I was, 21, and it was worth waiting for. And we were engaged for about six months, and on March 25th, 2006, we got married, we kissed for the first time, and it's almost, it'll, our 10 year anniversary of that first date is coming up in less than a month, or a little over a month. Is it okay if chapel goes a few minutes over today? Okay, then I'm gonna have Heidi come up and share her side of the story. this thing. I do not like this thing. Can you guys hear me without it? Yeah. Okay. All right. I just, I'm not even going to mess with it. What? Turn it off? It's on. You had it turned off. I'm just going to leave it off. Um, so I was homeschooled and in the stereotype sense of homeschooled, I was maybe a little socially repressed. So when I went to camp or the grocery store or something like that and I saw a boy who was mildly attractive, I would fall in love. So, so Jesse will talk to people, and, and if I can't defend myself, people think that I had this history of boyfriends. But in reality, it was a history of very distant crushes on the box boy at the grocery store, a few random boys I met at camp, just guys I didn't even really know but I saw from a distance and they were male and they were walking around on two legs so that was good enough for me <laughs> so I was a romantic at heart and I just wanted so much to when I was grown up to get married and have a family um, and I thought in my great and infinite wisdom when I was about 10 that 16 would be a good age to get married thank God I did not get married at 16 God held things off for a while yet um, but I had all these different boys that I liked and I had so much of a heart to attach to somebody. And I struggled during those years with what do I do with these crushes? This is really frustrating. I don't know how to deal with these strong emotions. I'm interested in this guy. I'm interested in that guy. I'm interested in them both at the same time. Doesn't really matter. I don't know what to do with this interest. I, it's strong and it's there and these thoughts take over. What do I do? I didn't figure out until I was about 21 what to do with that interest but let me back up a little bit I met Jesse when I was 18 my family had started going to his family's church shortly after my sister Katrina died we left our church in Montana and started going up to Alberta where his family goes to church and the first Sunday I met Jesse he shared some really powerful insights in that church and I remember just respecting him immediately because I could tell here was a young man who had a lot of wisdom and insight into life. And so he grabbed my respect, but I didn't become interested in him right away. It was a process of time of hearing people share different things about him who knew him well. And I heard these things like Jesse has been staying home and helping out his family while he's doing all this deep, self-motivated study in all these different areas. And my respect just kept growing for this guy. He has a lot of maturity. 
Um, and I could see when I would interact with him and his family on Sundays and stuff that he had so much character of patience and selflessness. He's the oldest of 11 kids, like he said, and he poured out his life to serve his family all those years at home. And um, so this respect kept growing. And then I think what pretty much tipped me over the edge into having a full-blown crush on Jesse was I went on a two-week wilderness trip with his second younger brother Jonathan and some other people and during those two weeks in the wilderness working on trails Jonathan shared a whole bunch of things about Jesse that he respected so much and I know enough about brother sibling relationships that if a brother can say that about his brother it's true and it's real and I, I was just I was getting a little starry-eyed so Sundays gradually became more of a struggle for me because I'd see Jesse every Sunday at church and this interest in him kept growing and here I am head over heels into another crush and oh, what do I do? And this time I had, I guess, enough foresight or something to not just leave it at constantly thinking about Jesse and, and ruminating on my interactions with him, but I realized, you know what, I should, just, I should just talk to my parents about this. And because I'm a little closer to my dad than my mom, we just, my mom and I are more alike and we butt heads a lot, I felt more comfortable pouring out my heart to my dad and I told him I said I'm interested in Jesse and I don't know what to do about this and I cannot tell you guys how for the next however many months it meant to have my dad to go to and just pour out these feelings of infatuation over Jesse to my dad and have him ask me so Heidi how did how did today go and I would say well I didn't really talk to Jesse or we had this conversation and he said this and I didn't know what to make of it and I just, it meant so much to have that outlet for what I was feeling and to have somebody who cared so much and understood me and was rooting for me and wanted to be a safe place for me to share. And it was such a great way to deal with it. And so I didn't know where this was gonna go and I didn't know Jesse's backstory that he had these other girls he had been interested in who turned him down and that he had cold feet. And so from my perspective, I didn't give Jesse any clues that I was interested because I had had enough other boys that I had been interested in and I had flirted with. I mean, in the sense that a repressed homeschooled girl flirts, you know? <laughs> My version of flirting, which is probably, yeah, they never noticed. But, so I didn't want to influence the situation at all by throwing myself at Jesse or, yeah. I really, really wanted God to, to guide uh, any possible relationship or lack of relationship, so I tried to stay back from flirting with him, being too forward, anything like that. And so it took a while, but God kept on working in both of our hearts during that time of trying to understand where each other was at. And I just, it was a very humbling time for me. I'm an impatient person and it was hard for me to wait especially because I had this growing certainty that I would eventually marry Jesse. I think now, looking back on it, I don't think it was that spiritual a certainty. I think I just had a lot of arrogance to think that he might be interested in me. But anyway, so when, when this particular Sunday came in August that Jesse showed me so much attention, and my dad's watching this whole thing, right? And Jesse came up to me, he doesn't remember this, but he did it. He came up to me and this friend of mine at church, we were having a picnic outside and he asked my friend a question and as she started answering, he turned to me and started talking to me about something else. And, and I'm going, there is something going on here with Jesse. And the girl, of course, noticed too because 
like Jesse said, we had, you could call it Amish. We just had a, a really conservative group and our dynamics were unique. And so we figured people were gonna notice this and my dad noticed. And he said, we came home from church that Sunday and he said, okay, Heidi, that's it, that's it. I have to talk to the jokes about this because I want to know what is going on and if Jesse's really interested or if this is just him being friendly or what. He was just the, the papa bear wanting to get in there and, and make sure this guy was treating his daughter right. So it was amazing. It was amazing when my parents met with Jesse's parents and um, just confirmed that both of our hearts were there and it meant so much. It might sound weird to you that we both kind of committed to the relationship and making it work no matter what from the beginning. And like Jesse said, God doesn't necessarily lead every couple that way. We're not saying that, but for me, I needed that because in the first few weeks of our relationship, my emotions went through this crazy roller coaster ride where, well, okay, partly because Jesse, who had this 21 years of pent up emotions, let them all loose. It was like a fire hydrant of just so excited about Heidi and I, I didn't know how to handle it and I didn't know what happened to the Jesse I, I liked and respected and I didn't know what to do with that crazy and love guy. And so I just felt a little bit shaken and hesitant and overwhelmed. But what meant so much through that whole thing that kept me steadfast was just knowing, you know what? I am committed to this guy. I have seen his character. I respect him. Those things are not going to change in him. And we're going to ride this out. And we did. And he is as madly in love with me as ever, or as I would arrogantly like to think he is. And, and I am him and it just means so much to see how God has led me to someone honestly I do not deserve at all but I am so honored to walk through life with so so I wrote that script for her I did a pretty good job didn't I <laughs>